Welcome to Book Wandering with me, Anna James, the podcast where I talk to another writer about their most beloved children's or YA book. I'm the author of the children's fantasy series Pages & Co and an arts journalist, and this week I'm joined by Juno Dawson, who I've known for years now, since I was a school librarian, I think. Juno is the author of several books of fiction and non-fiction for teens and adults, including This Book is Gay, Clean, and most recently the best-selling Her Majesty's Royal Coven. Juno's choice was The Forbidden Game by L.J. Smith, a 1994 point horror book and the first part of what became a bit of a cult favourite trilogy. Before we get into the podcast, just a quickly note that while the podcast is largely suitable for children, this isn't geared at younger listeners. Welcome, Juno. Thanks so much for being a guest on Book Wandering. You are very welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, so the book you have chosen, well, it's sort of a book and a series, mm-hmm. so we're going to talk about point horror in a general sense, but you suggested The Forbidden Game as a good place to start our chat. So tell me a bit about why you picked point horror and specifically The Forbidden Game. It's a funny one because Forbidden Game is not the best example of a point horror novel. Um if I was going to do that, I would have probably picked The Babysitter, which right. feels like the iconic R.L. Stein one. But I chose The Forbidden Game because it's very, very unusual in that it's a book that I loved as an adolescent that I still love now and have reread as an adult right. as well. So it feels like I'm sort of in a better place to kind of discuss it. Sure. Whereas I've not read The Babysitter, what, since I was sort of 11 or 12. Okay. So, Can you remember discovering this as an adolescent like how old were you what what drew you to it when you first encountered it so I remember that the first point where I read was a stocking filler from my mum it was called Mother's Helper by an author (laughs) called A. Bates and as a kid I'd not really read horror and people forget that in the sort of early mid 90s there wasn't really young adult fiction There there was Judy Bloom but nothing, nothing else. And so, and I was like a lot of sort of 10, 11 year olds, a bit sort of stuck really with what, what do you read? You know, I wasn't reading kids books, but I also wasn't quite yet ready for mm-hmm. the Stephen Kings and Dean Koontz's that I read when I was a teenager. And um, so I was reading a lot of Doctor Who paperbacks. Right. And Point Horror and Mother's Helper sort of felt like the first book that I'd read that was designed for kind of like a preteen audience kind right. of. So I was like, this is amazing. It's it feels like kind of like a horror film in that it's like a 16, 17 year old protagonist. She's in peril. And I to say that when I opened this present, I was like, what? Like I don't <laughs> I'd never heard of point horrors. It was very early on, probably ninety one or ninety two. And I was kind of like, this is the best thing ever. And from that point I just couldn't get enough and I read them and read them and read them and Scholastic were releasing like sometimes two or three titles a month. Like there's the Fun House, the Babysitter, the Snowman, Halloween, <laughs> just does a teacher's pet, so many titles. And once I found something I liked, I just ate and ate it. So right. I had a very, very limited kind of diet. So it was just Doctor Who paperbacks and Point Horror <laughs> and nothing else. Um, and then I remembered in the back or front covers, the inside covers, in fact, we've got one in front of us, I wonder if I've got it. Yeah, they would they would print the, the ones which are coming soon, right. which became very, very exciting. And, and then they'd sort of trailered The Forbidden Game and it was part one and part two. And there hadn't been a series right. before. And I was like, 
okay, this this is the next level. Kind of like, <laughs> there'd been the babysitter too, but this felt like something different. They were releasing book one and book two at the same time, mm. which was The Hunter. And I think the second one was called... The Chase. The Chase. Yeah. And then the last one was called The Kill. Mm. That's right. Um, and I was like, well, this is something a bit different. And even within Point Horror, Forbidden Game isn't like anything else they did. And of course, what I wasn't to know then was that LJ Smith was, of course, also about to become rather more notable for doing the Vampire Diaries. Mm -hmm. So for people who haven't, we don't need to do a blow by blow plot, but Mm -hmm. the Forbidden Game, I think, let's, could you uh, summarize the concept, the characters, what, what the Forbidden Game is about? I could, and it, do you know what? It's because I've not read it in a couple of years, but it's so fresh yeah. in in my mind. <laughs> I remember reading it for the first time because it's so many things that I just love. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. It's there's slightly labyrinthy vibes Very much so. in that she kind of, which is a huge childhood favorite. Um, it's about a young woman called Jenny. She has a ponytail. Uh, <laughs> a notable ponytail. Uh, this, this ponytail is mentioned numerous times. <laughs> um, and she is looking for something for her boyfriend's birthday party, Tom. And she finds a mysterious sort of like ephemeral Brigadoon-like space called <laughs> More Games. More Games. Which I still find... That's great. It's so good. It's so good. And so she goes to this very spooky, spooky game shop which she has never seen in town before. She's gone to kind of like the bad part of town (laughs) where she meets a beguiling shop assistant who sells her a spooky, mysterious game. It's not Monopoly or Cluedo. And she's like, but, you know, um, the shop assistant assures her it'll be a hit. And then she goes to that sort of like American suburban cul-de-sac vibes where we meet our ensemble cast of disposable teens. <laughs> um, and the game the game itself is really fun. You design yourself. So you the, each little playing piece is a little drawn version of you. Uh, but then also, and really, I think they should have seen this coming, <laughs> you have to write down your worst nightmare. And the worst nightmare is put in like a paper doll's house and would you believe it Who the cast think? of characters find themselves playing the forbidden game for real and once they're inside the game they have to face their worst nightmares and all of this is a uh, we are going to get spoilery mm-hmm. uh, a, a setup by said uh, shop assistant Julian, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> and his blue blue eyes oh, uh, and he is described as a mix it's very 90s isn't it he's a mix of a uh, byron poet mm-hmm. and cyberpunk which <laughs> is a vibe <laughs> I yeah i don't even know what that he... means it's definitely labyrinthy he's got like, mm. white blonde hair in a bowie sort of yeah labyrinth cut and he wants jenny he really wants jenny yeah and the book is horny <laughs> yeah in an in such an enjoyable unashamed way jenny is kind of into julian even Mm. though obviously ultimately you know good triumphs but i so enjoyed reading it so i did read point horror books as a teenager but i didn't read this one uh and i i so enjoyed how jenny is just like really like it's she's not judged she's like yeah 
he's hot. There's also the weird, there's a like a cousin kissing bit, which is a trip as well. Oh God, Zach, yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, but I enjoyed, it's just interesting reading it, a book written in the 90s, because now with the way we talk about romance and enemies to lovers and book talk, it's mm. quite, in, it's so much of it is so 90s and so much of it just has a bit of an aesthetic shift. I feel like really still lands with what is popular at the moment. I have this book, I'm surprised. I've been trying to get the TV rights to this forever. Oh. But with On the Back of the Vampire Diaries, I believe Kevin Williamson actually has the rights. Oh, okay. So, um, and, you know, he wrote Scream. So yeah. he wins. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it is like like Vampire Diaries. If if you take out some of the sort of the more 90s pop culture references, I especially like the references to Audrey's clothes, which are very kind of clueless era. And one of Audrey is one of Jenny's pals. And she she's very she has spiky bangs, like the kind of, you know, yeah. it's like all I don't even know how you achieve that, but they're the very nice. Fringe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um but it's um it do, it does hold up and like you say now now I think we have a better vocabulary vocabulary about talking around those tropes but yeah this is a, a proper sort of enemies to lovers and back again mm-hmm. thing and, and julian is a character that you know whether it is jareth in labyrinth or whether it's stefan in the vampire diaries you know the the bad boy lover is perennial kind of mm. and she's kind of into it i also i did find it funny reading it because it's this age-old demon that's been watching her and is in love with her, but they're obviously it's it's horny, but they keep using kiss as a, even though we all understand that he mm-hmm. doesn't just want to kiss her, but he keeps telling her he just wants to kiss her. I did find that quite mm-hmm. funny because it is still, it, you know, teen, I suppose it's a hard, but then actually I suppose this is something that you have to grapple with. But before we, before we get into that, I guess you started writing horror mm-hmm. teen horror yeah was that a fairly direct kind of through route in terms of that was what you loved to read was that an organic thing that you started writing how come that was where you began with your own books yeah and I, th- I think it's interesting that horror does dip in and out of fashion I think when I when I was first published in 2012 we weren't allowed to use the word horror oh. even when say her name came out it was described as a, um, a psychological thriller right. i'm like please it's about bloody mary yeah. coming out of your mirror <laughs> to kill you um but horror was a really dirty word it was considered it won't sell to girls girls don't like horror oh. girls don't read horror and so you know, Hollow Pike was marked, my debut was marketed as sort of supernatural romance, even though there's very little romance in it. It's about friendship. Um, Cruel Summer, which is straight up teen horror, was described as a thriller, you know, so it's, it's kind of, it's a funny one. But then a few years later, and actually horror is, is now being talked about, and there is definitely on the back of kind of, oh, I can't remember the name of the author, but the woman who wrote there's someone in your house and there's there's a few others that are now yeah. being described definitely as horror which is interesting isn't it given how much point horror was trading off it's literally called point horror although it's it's a hard one to track how because i feel like i remember being scared reading mm-hmm. point horrors as a teen and i don't know how much it's just that the forbidden game you're a bit more familiar with is different because it's not it's tense certainly mm. but it's not gory no no it's not bloody uh uh but then someone fully dies 
poor old Summer. Summer, she's although... plot device. She's she, just so yeah. small. <laughs> she's just described constantly as being so small, and she's got such pretty curly hair. And then, oh, she's, she's she just she dead. does die, and that that was a real rarity in Point Horror. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. the, I think you can probably count on one hand the times that characters die and don't come back because sometimes right. there's like death fake out sure. and stuff um and i will say if you read to the end of the forbidden game trilogy uh. hmm, um forbidden game i guess now would be classed as a fantasy novel actually Probably. i think it, it does sort of sit right on the border of sort of fantasy and horror because of the fantastical element and there's there's monsters there's the creeper and the lurker yeah who hunt the characters around the house and they don't really belong in point horror either. So right. usually in point horror, um, it's they were more in kind of the pre-scream vibe of a girl, a teenage girl with a ridiculous made-up name, <laughs> is terrorized by what she believes is a supernatural menace. But lo and behold, it turns out to be her jealous best friend or the boy she rejected. Right. There was always usually a, a mundane explanation behind whatever terror she found her way in and a lot of the horror in point horror was based on the phone ringing kind of like and then Althea starts receiving the phone calls and I don't know why girls in the early 90s were so scared of heavy breathing phone calls or a lot of notes a lot of I know what you did yeah a lot of sinister notes Um, and that was about as horrific as it got very very rarely did people die um i think i remember there was one called prom night i think or prom queen oh yeah i feel like that's i feel like maybe i read that one yeah where a body was discovered in a tumble dryer and i was like okay yeah that's and she was dead she was properly she was dead as well so um (laughs) but i think that the so alongside point her there was also christopher pike who was doing big business his tended to be a bit more gruesome and a bit more visceral kind of i feel like in my memory I've smooshed together mm-hmm. those as all being point horror rather than as separate things and I feel like sometimes maybe the things that were actually scaring me weren't actually technically point horror so the thing having spoken to people who wrote point horror um what back in the days when I had my blog I mm. briefly did a point horror book club Fun. and we got some of them on and they were published by Scholastic in the US and it was almost you were doing it for a couple of hundred quid you oh, wow, there was okay. some really dodgy contracts being signed around <laughs> around that time which is you know and and so this you know you really were churning them out i don't know how rl stein was writing them all there's obviously been lots of rumors about he mustn't have been writing them all but he maintains to this day he wrote all the goosebumps and all the point horrors mm. so until i hear otherwise i guess we have to okay. believe him but it is you're right actually that it is more of a fantasy book isn't it because even mm. the nightmares are fantastical mm-hmm. like you have um, like alien abduction D with the alien abduction which is quite Everything scary actually does have as well like a kind of sexual undertone mm. you know her fear is being like probed without Consent. being able to without yeah. being able to move but that's it's never explicitly explored no. and then you have uh, the elf king they, mm. they're in the, like a fairy tale forest and but even then it's like fairy tales but then it's a group of young men that trade them to the elf king mm-hmm. uh the little we have the plants growing out of people's skin but that happens so quickly that's that's yeah. very much like oh michael needs a nightmare <laughs> okay mm-hmm. we can do this um 
And then the one where Summer actually dies is actually is probably it's the trash room. Like she's yes. scared of mess and her like there's these huge cockroaches that come out and then she gets fully killed by like she gets trampled, yeah, like buried. sentient yeah. rubbish, which mm-hmm. is that one maybe doesn't have some sexual undertones, but you know, who am I to say? Uh, but, I think LJ Smith must get teenage girls. I, clearly. I think and I think she understands what pushes their buttons and, and actually how and I think, you know, it's a conversation that we still have now, which is something that you kind of have an appetite for, sort of mm-hmm. burgeoning sexuality, can be at the same time both incredibly arousing, but also terrifying. Right, exactly. And I think actually possibly sex in a post-smartphone pornography age is probably even scarier. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in the 90s, you know, you saw, like gauzy nice <laughs> sex and it's funny i was watching the pamela anderson documentary oh, recently it it's a wonderful wonderful and there's lots of shots from her playboy days and it, there is a real innocence to it right it's which i know people will be like oh my god burn juno dawson but <laughs> it's kind of like it's pamela anderson frolicking in a waterfall right and you're like this is you know, compared to now, a well done, here, it's your 11th birthday, here's your smartphone, right. enjoy watching this man choke a woman until she passes out. You know, you can see how sex is something that's very natural, but also something that's really terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I think LJ Smith really gets that, that, you know, Jenny wants Julian, but Julian also represents inherent danger. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's no mystery here that this is a book, I guess, in many ways about Jenny's sexual awakening Mm -hmm. in the same way that labyrinth is but that's even dodgier because of the age gap (laughs) yeah and i the thing is like with labyrinth i know if i had read this book as a teenager like i would have been obsessed with julian like the idea that there is this super hot mystical being who just you it's always been you it's always been you ponytail you and your normal ponytail (laughs) you are the person that I, the super hot supernatural being person, like, and it's, and like you say, LJ Smith really gets that. But again, with the vampire diaries as well, mm-hmm. like Eleanor, like she has these two super hot brothers and they're just like, it's it's you. And that is appealing as a teenager. Of course. That there is someone who is just so, but then dangerous as well. Like you say, I think you explained it super well. And Twilight, again, everything comes back around. I mean, the shame with Twilight, I guess, is that, you know, Edward is such a wet fish. Just, yeah, he's and... constantly described as cold and unfeeling, and you're like, oh, for. Yes, it is. Both literally and uh, thematically more Mormony, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, in that, what's fun about L.J. Smith's books is there's no judgment for feeling. When Jenny's like, oh, I've got some, and Julie makes me feel a bit funny in my tummy, and it's like, but that's okay, and that's that's normal to feel like that. Whereas um, a lot more, a lot more guilt going on in Twilight. As as a kid, obviously I was rooting for Tom and Jenny because right. Tom is very all American. Tom is the boy, yeah, the boyfriend. Yeah, who, yes, he's he's an, he. But, oh, but then it's so interesting. So then, as an adult, when you read it, Tom is massively neglecting Jenny. Yeah, he kind of he's 
you know, I strongly suspect LJ Smith was not Team Tom. Right. And then and then Julian comes along and is a kid. You're like, oh my God, he's a villain. He's trapped them in this game. He sent monsters after them. But then as an adult, you're like, well, obviously Julian. Like, just pick him. Just let him kill your friends. Just <laughs> yeah. kind of, he's got floppy blonde hair. And such blue eyes. Such blue eyes. Giving real K-pop vibes now. Obviously, yes. I didn't know that in the sort of 90s. But now <laughs> he's very BTS inspired. Yes. Again, really, I do think if TikTok found this book, it would have find a real audience. Because also, it's good. Mm. Like, she's a good writer. Yeah. Like, it takes a little bit to get going. But once you're in it, and it's nuanced and this real, like, Jenny's, so Jenny's nightmare. So she can't draw anything on her paper to start with. And part of the book is her remembering mm-hmm. this memory. Uh, and she has real guilt about you know her granddad died to protect her from julian and other monsters uh and i had a great time reading it but when i was googling a bit about just how other people feel about it i predictably came across people being snotty uh and one thing that really struck me there was one blog that was like oh it was saying about how much they loved the book and then it's like tell me what other books with zero literary value you love and just (laughs) it's such a predictable but it's it's disappointing that that's still because a i think it a something has literary value if it means something to yeah. you but b also this is a really well executed teen horror book mm-hmm. it's not bad no i i would defend that now as well i think the fact that i remember it having read it when i was 12 and you know then came back to it. i once read it with my class when i was in my teaching days and that was when i was this book is hornier than I remember it being year six. Yeah. I'm sorry. Year six. <laughs> I think possibly, but the thing is they couldn't get hold of it because I read, I must admit, I read Knots and Crosses with them as well, which obviously has the, the sex scene, yeah. which I didn't read. But then of course, I didn't realise that half the girls were reading it along at home and they're like, right. you missed a bit out. And I was like, yes, I did. <laughs> um, but um, they couldn't track down Forbidden Games. So sorry, year six. But um. I think I think it does hold up and I think as well something that gets overlooked a lot is plot. Oh my it's well yeah. plotted. Yeah. It whips along from one nightmare to the next. Mm-hmm. You know, it all builds up to a crescendo. The what propels you forward is well, what's the next nightmare gonna be? You are as a reader, you are desperate to know what the next horror is gonna be. And I think we should overlook plot at our peril. And you know, that Absolutely. is one of my absolute pet hates, which is when you read a book which is it's very well written the author has an amazing turn of phrase but just nothing happens mm-hmm. and especially for younger readers yeah absolutely also plot is hard i love a beautifully written book but the best ones in my book are the ones that are beautifully written and have a really good plot that is my preference and actually it's quite why it's quite fun well very fun doing this podcast and rereading all these books is that um, children's books why books they're so great hmm. And uh, they're so good at plot. Uh, and it's it's such, I had such a fun time reading this. I just can't, I cannot with snobbery about what kids are reading. Because yes, you know, I'm, I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> but, you know, there's this constant, maybe two or three times a year, there is some sort of mild Twitter. Yes storm in a teacup about kind of like oh my god look at this shelf in Sainsbury's it's just three authors and yeah that is really sad but at the same time I was that kid I read three things Doctor Who 
Pint Horrors. Oh, Nancy Drew Case Files right. was the other one I read, the 90s revival of Nancy Drew. And I did do them on a cycle. Mm-hmm. I was like, Nancy, Point Horror, Doctor <laughs> Who. Nancy, Point Horror. And for about three years, that was all I read. And then even I thought, right, well, I need a new flavour. <laughs> and that was when I moved on to Dean Koontz and then right. Stephen King. Um, so I am living, breathing proof that having a very limited diet as a tween made me a reader. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved books. I read every single night before I went to sleep. It was part of my routine. It was part of my life. And and that's why I can't, you know, when, when people are like, oh, it has zero literary merit. That's just not true. Because when I was reading those books, I was becoming a lifelong reader. Absolutely. And then a writer as well. Because... Yeah. You know, I wanted to write my own point horror books and I didn't complete any, but I had lots of like ideas. Right. Like within that style, like the tree, the dog, though I was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. the the noun kind of the knife. And and so these books inspired me and I and I think I'm glad for that, mm-hmm. you know, because at school we were being fed this kind of like diet of books that were meant to be good for me yes spoiler they were not the books that inspired me to become an author absolutely except kill a mockingbird obviously which <laughs> i think we can all agree is a banger but... absolutely i think the thing is when these things happen i'm always, like things can be more than one thing mm-hmm. it can both be a shame that all the wonderful books that are being written that aren't a certain in a certain bucket aren't getting to children at the same time as sometimes these are the books that are making kids readers and i think there is space for both things yeah to be true and something that i've said so many times which is you don't read one book in your right. life um you know and that's why I, I don't see competition between authors and i'm always slightly confused when i do sort of pick up wind of rivalry because mm-hmm. i'm like but hang on a minute if if they read her book they'll probably like your book you know right it's all the ships kind of come up with the same tide kind yeah of. especially like in middle grade like kids who are voracious readers if if they're into middle grade fantasy they they will need a lot of middle grade fantasy uh mm-hmm. and if they liked your book they might like mine and if they like mine like you say which is a good thing um i'm interested in how you've sort of seen then responses to horror evolve as you've been writing because you sort of your first books were very much teen horror and then but then even they're obviously not classic horror but books like meat market and wonderland mm. like obviously are they're not they're i hope it, you think it's better they're still trading on some of those feelings and ways of telling a story they have a horror to them even if they're not yeah blood guts and point horror monsters the, the the real horrors yeah that yes, was yeah. The, the, the real and that I mean so I mean and I think that's the difference isn't it which is your Joss Whedon and Kevin Williamson's were using a very heightened horror as kind of allegory for the right. horrors that teenagers face and if you look at sort of Sydney Prescott in Scream you know she is dealing with grief and she's dealing with betrayal you know, through the lens of being stalked by a killer in a ghost mask, Mm. kind of what she has to face up to is her guilt around not protecting her mum. Whereas then, and then that that was present in my early horror novels as well, which is kind of the, like, the ghosts or the, the threat is in some way designed to highlight something that the characters are going through. Whereas in Clean and Meat Market and Wonderland, 
there's less allegory and it's more obvious the horrors that those girls are facing, whether it's addiction in clean or whether it's sexual assault in meat market. It was harder to do that right. because the, the fantastical or the genre elements of horror or fantasy, they're so heightened, they take you into a sort of a state of comfort, I think. Mm-hmm. You expect, you know, in my, my adult book, HMRC, you, you know, you expect characters to die because they're witches you know and there's a lot going on whereas when I started writing Meat Market it was actually so I started writing it pre Me Too I think I we I signed the deal for Meat Market in 2016 right so it was well poised for what was about to happen with the world and it was based on the Bill Cosby case right and so right from the beginning I knew what was going to happen to Yana who was a young fashion model who is sexually assaulted by a photographer. And it was horrible because you it was like leading a lamb to the slaughter. So the first half of the book, you're building up this character, knowing full well you're going to submit her to a very real ordeal. You know, I wasn't putting her in the way of Bloody Mary or right. a masked killer. I was putting her in the way of a rapist. And that is much harder to do. And I found it really, really difficult to do that because obviously Yana's a very likable, innocent character and and um i asked to stop i asked if we could do something oh. else i sort of went to um my editor and, and i said i'm finding this really difficult i, I feel quite icky mm-hmm. you know can i and i pitched her a fantasy novel instead right. which i think is a, a sort of a horror fantasy sort of like a a uk teen wicker man Ooh, set okay. on a scottish island that was it was all kind of like a an allegory for political youth basically mm-hmm. and it was around think of the time Jeremy Corbyn and that wave of support behind Jeremy Corbyn and I thought it was so interesting how teenagers had got behind him and and you can see why I would want to kind of retreat to a place of fictional silliness in a way kind of like teen sacrifice on remote Scottish highlands felt safer than subjecting a young London teenager to sexual assault but my editor, she, she asked me to persist. She says, I really think you're onto something. I think the title's amazing. Everything's working. It has to follow clean, which was doing really, really well. And um, then, of course, Me Too happened. You know, the Weinstein case broke early into 2017. And I was like, do you know what? If everybody in the world can be brave enough to talk about their experience of sexual assault, then I think you can finish this novel. At the end of the day, this is a fictional scenario mm-hmm. even if it is based on real things and, and I am, I'm glad I'm proud of me Mark I'm glad I finished it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and at what point in that timeline did you start thinking about slash writing HMRC which kind of does a bit of it's it's for adults mm-hmm. uh, but it has some of the real life stuff with a lot obviously it is full fully fantasy as well yeah and um, I had the idea I was touring Australia in 2018 um, I was away from home for nearly five weeks, which was, a, that's quite a long time for me. And I missed my dog. And it was just a lot of hotel time, mm-hmm. kind of. And and I remember sort of thinking that the original nugget was desperate housewives, <laughs> but they're witches in Hebden Bridge. <laughs> and I got out of bed and jotted down some notes on my laptop. And kind of that is still true. That is still basically what Her Majesty's Royal Coven is. Desperate Housewives, but witches in Hebden Bridge. And I think it was born out of a few desires. And I'm always writing books for me. I always think, you know, 
you can only ever guarantee you're going to enjoy it. Yeah. And if anybody else does, that's a lovely bonus. That I felt at that point that I, I really wanted to write about sort of women in their mid thirties. Right. And that that was quite a quiet spot mm-hmm. fiction wise. Like sort of that there is that sort of the sort of in a lot of literary novels it feels like there's the sort of the twenty something who is discovering adulthood or there's the sort of in the Reese Witherspoon book club oeuvre, there's a lot of kind of sort of moms in there, <laughs> sort of like late thirties, early it's like an undisclosed kind of time in that sort of like in the domestic noir kind of it's very sort of settled. Whereas for me, my early thirties were really when I grew up and really became an adult as people started settling down kind of. And so I wanted to look at that and about that slight difference that appears when some of your friends are all married with kids, but some of them aren't. Yeah. And a bit sort of there's a bit of a push and pull there between domesticity and freedom, mm-hmm. kind of not that domesticity is a sentence. <laughs> but but um <laughs> but um and and then i sort of put it on the back burner for a while and and what was nice about having the notion there i don't it wasn't called her majesty's royal because to begin with i don't know what it was called um because obviously that is it's an incredible title that was what grew so that was what needed time to kind of brew which was the world around these witches and then there was a point where i pitched it to ITV studios, they they were interested in having an American horror story for the UK, right? And so I moved the action to Pendle, and by that point, obviously we'd had since between 2018 and 2020 when I started writing the novel, there'd been a lot of, you know, the the state of the the trans debate of the mm. t- conversations around trans people in the UK had gotten more and more toxic. Mm-hmm. And I think toxic is a very overused word, but I think it's an appropriate one for this. For sure. Because it genuinely, I have, over the last 10 years of my life, I have seen the well be poisoned okay. by incredibly bad faith actors and conversations in the media. And so all of a sudden, and maybe inspired by horror like Jordan Peele's Get Out, where mm. you know you can see how horror can become so allegorical for social conversations i thought i wonder if there is a conversation to be had about transphobia through the prism of this coven because obviously by definition a coven is a female only space right and so i realized well this okay what if Mm -hmm. there was a trans witch who presented to this coven and all of a sudden i remembered my desperate housewives but Ah, witches i was like this is one thing these are like two seeds that i can plant together to grow something such a satisfying moment isn't it when you realize that you've actually got enough stuff and you're like okay there's a thing here it elevated i mean there's don't get me wrong i'm very excited that there's lots of books about witches out there right now because i think also the coven is a really obvious precinct to discuss feminism of any kind and so i think there's lots of books about witches talking about lots of facets of feminism but all of a sudden this was how i wanted to talk about something that was impacting my life Mm -hmm. because talking about my lived experience as a trans person can be thankless It, it very often you're asked to um kind of perform your trauma right and you're just just on the way to this podcast recording i got a phone call from bbc5 live asking if i would like to talk about hogwarts legacy (laughs) no i wouldn't (laughs) like to talk about hogwarts legacy ever and 
all of a sudden this was how I wanted to right. talk about transphobia because I love fantasy, I love witches, and and so all of a sudden I found a way in for myself. Mm-hmm. And how how consciously do you feel like you're in conversation with point horror, I suppose specifically, but generally the books that you loved mm-hmm. as a teenager, the books that kind of make us as a reader, is that something you are yeah consciously in conversation with, or is it more that it kind of just created the kind of reading foundation that you've grown from? I think in lots of ways it has. I think, first of all, it's about the plot, mm-hmm. which is, with the exception of Clean, which started with the character of Lexi. Right. Like, strung out, junky, incredibly privileged teenage girl based on somebody I'd seen in a newspaper story. And then it was like, well, what are we going to do with her? Right. Usually it comes, for me, and I know this is very different across writers, it becomes, it's the other way around. So with this one, it was about, right, Coven, Hebden Bridge, Desperate Housewives, trans inclusion. Okay, who is that going to happen to? And mm-hmm. who are these witches? And I think still, and what, what again, what I like about sort of witch fiction at the moment is there are some which are sort of very sort of character studies. And then there are some which are very sort of pacey plotted. And I think having written however many novels I'd written, I wanted to do a big, epic, Avengers style yeah. world. And so that's what HMRC is kind of. And, and I think that does relate back to point horror and what I was reading as a teenager because they like we said they're very tightly plotted you know kind of sometimes with some of the point horrors it does feel like the the situation came before I think with some point horrors the title came yes. before anything else <laughs> right we're in a room the snowman right, right. horror novels <laughs> the pizza horror right, story it's like about just pizza. assigned to somebody yeah. and it's like make of this what you yeah, will just, there, I think there was a very simple formula yes but um and I think and as well the other thing is as well just about having girls and women at the center of it and I think there's been many a PhD written on the feminism of the horror film or the horror novel. Right. Because I'll tell you what usually passes the Bechdel test, horror films. Mm -hmm. And anomaly, we do see often a disenfranchised female character overcoming a monster, often by literally removing their weapon from them and killing them with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was the book, um, oh, I've forgotten the name of both the author and the book, Women something women chainsaws and something there is a very foundational text about feminism within the horror genre right and you know at school again notable exception to kill a mockingbird (laughs) i remember reading a lot of books with young male protagonists cider with rosie bonnie pit laddie lots of different books with sort of scrappy victorian (laughs) great expectation style characters and very very few girls whereas point horror nancy duque's files they were always a female protagonist yes for sure no you're you're right it's funny i would be lying if i i am not much of a horror aficionado i can't watch horror films i just get um like visuals from them stuck in my head and i can't get them out Mm -hmm. and even things like midsummer like that one is quite ariaster's very visual people kept telling me it's so good it's so good like it's a film even if you don't like horror films (coughs) and i thinking as in it's i get that it's different in some ways but our mutual friend katie weber knows me very well and she was like do not watch it you will hate it. If you do watch it, here are some timestamps. 
to speak to. Oh, bless her. That <laughs> yeah. is a good friend. Yeah, that is a really good friend. Yes, no, she knows me well. And she was like, just don't bother. Um, so, cause, so I kind of engaged with horror from a, just, but I do love to read I read the like full plot summary mm-hmm. because I like to know what people are talking about <laughs> and I like to know what happened. So I just read the whole like in detail plot summary of the menu uh, because I don't want to watch it, but I do think it looks No, actually, I, I would say I don't think that counts as a horror film. Oh, interesting. I think, I think okay. it's almost a comedy. Oh, uh, mm. okay. Well, maybe I will give it a go mm. then. I feel like I've seen enough clips of it on TikTok, but I've almost seen the whole yeah, film Yeah, for anyway. me, that's why that film didn't quite work. I oh, felt it didn't okay. know whether it wanted to be a satire oh, or a horror interesting. film. So. Okay, so speaking of which, which, what horror have you enjoyed recently? Both books, films? Ooh, okay. So I'm very into sort of my... The TikTok algorithm, she knows me well. <laughs> it's sinister, isn't it? But kind of, um, I like, I'm being pitched a lot of sort of dark girl sad girl horror moments right at the moment books like tell me i'm worthless by alison brumford who's okay. another amazing trans author um eliza clark's um mm, boy parts yes. which i think is fantastic manhunt by gretchen falcon martin another trans author gosh we are diverse today um <laughs> um julia armfield's our wives under the oh, sea yes. so a lot of sort of and what, what's interesting, also all women authors, so none of those books, manhood, notable difference, none of those books feature a lot of gore. Right. And they are more sort of psychological studies about almost the horrors women and act on themselves in some ways. Right. Um, in terms of cinema, obviously I, I do love my Ariaster. I thought Hereditary and Midsummer were really game-changing. Um, but then I also loved Megan or Mathragan, uh, yeah. Mathragan as it is spelled. Because do you know what? I, I love a film that knows exactly what it is. And rarely have I seen a film that knows what it is as well as Megan. And also Smile last year. Oh, Don't okay. watch Smile. That one will stick in your head. Um, <laughs> hard avoid. Smile is better than it had any right to be okay. for what was marketed as a very sort of tacky horror film. Like, ooh, you see a smile and then you die. Um scarier than it had any right to oh, be interesting actually. okay okay uh well no that's noted noted but maybe i'll give the menu a go yeah um, i think yeah. honestly you're safe with yeah. the menu um do you think you will ever go back to ya horror kind of classic ya horror would you like to yes yeah weirdly i would say probably in the first instance for tv okay about half my career now is developing things for telly um if you're a writer, get into it. It's really lucrative and you just need loads of ideas. If you have a head full of ideas, there is money to be made. Noted. <laughs> yeah, get into it seriously. Okay. Um, so I live in the house that telly built. Um, and so two of them, two, one notably is, is very much a teen horror awesome. pitch, an original idea. But I think after I found the trilogy of clean meat market in wonderland all dealing with quite big heavy issues i found that quite grueling in the end sure. and so i needed a break which is why i very quickly did the christmas novel stay another day and then moved into my fantasy trilogy so if i was to go back to do another ya novel actually going back to my roots and doing a horror just a very straight up haunted house story yeah. or a, there's the killer is inside the house story yeah. really appeals because 
in a strange way, it feels like a more innocent time for me professionally as yeah, well. Yeah. Like when I was scared to email my agent oh, in, yeah. in case she was bothered. Now I'm just like, what are you having for breakfast? Yes. <laughs> what should I have for breakfast? <laughs> and presumably, it, we've really moved on in terms of what you're saying about when you were first started writing, didn't even want to call it horror. We're in a very different sphere in terms of how publishing is treating it. Yeah. So it would be a different ball game in yeah. every respect. Does Point Horror still, are they still publishing books so fact fans there was a revival oh do you know what what is time post pandemic <laughs> but it was pre-pandemic so i'm gonna say probably around it was i think it was around the 25th anniversary of point horror because it might have even been the 30th anniversary of point horror they um did a reboot and they published a couple scholastic usa published a couple and what was interesting is i had an approach from scholastic uk Ooh. to ask if i would like to do like an anniversary yeah. edition and i was well up for it but there was lots of rights issues of around the word point horror and i think somebody else had the tv rights and it's a very complicated. very complicated situation to get into but if scholastic uk is listening i'm down any day of the week Okay. to do an official point horror title amazing great mm. heard it here first i would love to read that well i, I think it would be the scream approach so it'd yeah. have to be really referential yeah kind of it would be like a group Having of a kids living living in a yeah. town called point harbor or right. something you know. <laughs> oh my goodness yes it needs to happen mm. it needs to happen um great well i hope it does happen i am off to buy to track down on ebay or something the uh second and third the chase and the game. kill yeah. because i really did have a great time and i need to know i just i need i need more julian ultimately that's my i remember the chase is very much the middle one okay <laughs> and the kill the kill is quite good it's all okay. in, in a spooky fairground Ooh, mm. okay which was my favorite slash most scary goosebumps was the fairground one mm -hmm. so maybe that one will get to me well i'm off to find those um thank you so much uh for telling us all about point horror and thank your you. books as well thank thanks you for, thanks for having us <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Book Wandering. You can find out more information about Juno and her books and what we talked about below. You can also buy any or all of the books we chatted about via my bookshop.org page. If you enjoyed the episode, then I'd really appreciate you spreading the word, sharing online, telling your friends, and of course, leaving a review. You can find me at A Case of Books on social media, or you can email me at annajamesauthor at gmail.com. The podcast is produced by Adam Collier with artwork by Hester Kitchen. And next week, I'll be chatting to Guy Gunaratne about where the wild things are. So do come back and listen to that. And until then, happy book wandering.